Lord, you have put us on a journey. You've literally placed us on a road called life. And while it seems strange that this road would be a road to greatness, any calling that you've given us that leads us into being disciples of Christ, to be Christ followers, is an important road. And may we learn today from the life of Saul what it means. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Not long ago, somebody asked me a question. The first question was pretty easy to answer. The second question was a little bit more difficult. The first question is, was this, what is the most significant event in the history of the church? What is the most significant event in the history of the church? I told you the very first answer is pretty easy. The most significant event, of course, was the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, without the resurrection, without Christ coming back from the dead, there would be no such thing as Christianity, and you wouldn't need whatever is number two. That's a pretty easy question to answer. But the second question is, what was the second most significant event in church history? Now, that's a little bit more difficult. I mean, just think for a moment. What do you think, following the resurrection, the most significant event in church history is? Well, my answer was, and you can argue with me, because this did not fall off of Mount Sinai. This is just kind of my opinion. I think it's the conversion of Saul. And I'm going to stick with that, otherwise I don't have any sermon today. Now, Saul, you heard Dennis read this to you before, was a uh, Jewish leader. He was a Pharisee, which is to say he was a hard-line fundamentalist. He was an avowed enemy of Christianity. The Bible says that when Stephen, who was the very first Christian martyr, the first one to die for his faith, when he was being stoned to death, it says that Saul was there actually holding their coats, I guess, so they could pick up bigger rocks, and he was nodding his approval. In fact, that stoning of Stephen seemed to inspire Saul because he began aggressively pursuing and persecuting Christians, going chasing after them, bringing them back, and having them executed. Now, this should have come as no surprise to Jesus' disciples because he had warned them. He said in John 16:2, The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. Isn't that interesting? Saul was persecuting Christians because he thought he was doing a service to God in doing so. But then something pretty spectacular happened in Saul's life. He became a Christian. Everything about him kind of changed overnight. Uh, He even changed his name from Saul to Paul. And he he began preaching the gospel that he once despised. He traveled all around the world, proclaimed Jesus, planted churches, trained leaders. And during these travels... He wrote a lot of letters. In fact, he wrote a lot of letters that have made their way into our Bible. Uh, He wrote a lot of them while he was in prison. In fact, about half of your whole New Testament was all written by a man who once persecuted Christians, whose name changed from Saul to Paul. Now, from a human perspective, Paul was probably one man who we could say did the most for the spread of Christianity throughout the known world at that time. He took several missionary trips, did a lot of writing. 
He changed how people thought about religion. He changed the way how they practiced their religion. In fact, he said it's not so much of a religion of do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, but it's more of a relationship. It has to do with who you are in Jesus. Now, of course, from um, our perspective, we know that it wasn't just Paul who was doing this. In fact, if Paul were here today, he would say, no, don't, don't be telling everybody this is what I did. Because he knew as well as we know that it was the Holy Spirit that was working through him. Paul just happened to be the instrument that God chose to accomplish his work, his will, his desire. And so what we have in front of us today is Paul's conversion story. And in Paul's story, there are some principles, I think, that apply to every last person who's here today. The story not only tells us how he became saved, it also tells us how he managed to be used in such a great way. And the story starts on the road to Damascus, but it ends with Paul on the road to greatness. Now, what happened between Damascus and the road to greatness? What happened even before that road? Well, just think about it. When Paul got up that morning and was heading to Damascus, he thought he was on his way to revenge. He was going to go and get himself a few Christians to persecute. He thought he was on the road to set things straight. Kind of interesting, he ended up on the street name straight, didn't he? He thought he was on the road to proving that might is always right. But maybe about high noon, as Dennis suggested before, that's not the road that he was on. Instead, he met Jesus face to face. And that started him on a different road. It's the road, I'm going to call it the road to greatness. And it's a road that every person here, once you become a believer, is invited to travel on. Now, I don't know if you can picture yourself traveling the road to greatness. I mean, just the fact that I said, look, every last one of you from Katie on back, God invites you, when you become part of his family, to get on the road to greatness. Now, Katie may be saying, oh, wow, I'm going to become super DCE someday? Is that what the road to greatness means? Am I going to have every child in the world come flocking to my feet? No, sorry, that's not going to happen. Now, will you become a great DCE? Well, you already are one. And, but God has some things in store for you that you don't yet know about. And provided you're willing to travel that road, guess what? You're going to be surprised somewhere in the journey. Sometimes not always happily surprised, but ultimately happily surprised. Now, some of us think that greatness is reserved only for special people, like pastors or DCEs, or maybe the rich or the so-called chosen or the elite, but that's not true. God's path for greatness is out there for every last person who says, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Now, let me tell you about this road. There are three things you need to understand about Here's the very first thing. The road to greatness has open lanes for everyone. I'm going to go back to the 1960s. I was a teacher and principal of a Lutheran school in Peru, Indiana. And one year we decided to take our eighth graders on a class trip to Chicago. Now, Peru, Indiana, central, Illinois, central Indiana, town of about 15,000. And so, as principal, I was called upon to drive the school bus 
to Chicago. We were going to go to the Museum of Science and Industries, the Field Museum, and then ultimately to a Cub game at Wrigley Field. I don't know that I'd ever driven in Chicago before, let alone drive a big 66-passenger yellow school bus. We were pulling out of a parking lot, maybe the Field Museum or the Museum of Science and Industries, onto Lakeshore Drive. Maybe some of you have been there. And I, tell you, I sat there at the wheel of that bus, and cars were flying by what, by what seemed like millions. And, and I actually could not figure out how I was going to get that big bus out into, I don't know, six or eight lanes of traffic with what appeared to be very little space between every car that was flying by. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and cars behind me started honking. And so finally, I just closed my eyes and pulled out into the traffic. And lo and behold, they made room for me. Now, I discovered that there was a place for me in this big mass of traffic. I just needed to jump in. Now, I didn't really have my eyes closed. But it's pretty close. You know, it's the same thing on this road to greatness. Uh, you may think that the road is only for the rich or the famous or the powerful, the influential, the movers, the shakers. But it's not their road exclusively. It's your road whenever you come up with what the Holy Spirit courage to pull out in the traffic and say, let's go. It doesn't matter if you think that you're no one special. Doesn't matter which roads you've been traveling in the past. Uh, it doesn't matter how bad you used to be. It doesn't matter how good you think you have been. There is a place in God's kingdom where you can be used in a great way. And we just need to remember this. We need to remember this, especially when it comes to people that we have labeled as people who have no hope. And I would bet that every last one of you can think of somebody that you have somehow labeled as a person without hope. You've given up on them. You think everybody else should give up on them, too. Well, let's go back to the first century because Paul or Saul was that kind of person. He was so deeply entrenched in his religious heritage, so hostile to things of the Christian faith, so full of hate, so full of intolerance, that a lot of people could not, would not believe that he could ever possibly change. Did you get that in the story? God says, Ananias, go to this guy named Saul of Tarsus on this street called Straight. And, and Ananias kind of went, uh, uh, are you sure? I know this guy. Uh, this guy is, is a guy who's killing people like me. I mean, he just couldn't wrap his brain around this concept that somebody who was so evil, wicked, bad, and nasty could possibly have changed. Let me tell you a story a little bit closer. I think we have a picture up here. Next screen. Yeah, Chuck Colson. I've had the privilege of meeting and talking to Chuck Colson on occasion, but some of you may remember back in the 1970s the misdeeds of Charles Colson. He helped literally destroy a presidential administration, and he left a mark on the historical record that is probably never going to be removed. Uh, one writer called Chuck Colson the evil genius in President Nixon's circle of power. Colson himself said 
that the reason he was so valuable to President Nixon was because he was not afraid to be ruthless. He was not afraid to be underhanded. He was not afraid to be devious. Well, we know what happened. Watergate. And people like Chuck Colson ended up in prison. Now, by the time Colson was sent to a federal prison in 1973, he was already the poster child for everything that's wrong in American politics. And most people would have said this was a man that was totally beyond redemption. But shortly before he went to prison, Chuck Colson met Jesus. Now, let's understand there are a lot of people who said this is a jailhouse conversion. A lot of people get Jesus when they end up in jail. But he literally met Jesus. He served his time in that federal penitentiary. And for, when he got out for the next almost 40 years of his life, until passing away this last year, he worked for Jesus. He preached the gospel. He ministered to prisoners. He's the guy who formed prison fellowship ministries. He's the guy who advocated reform in the justice system all around the world. And so this man, who was at one time called a lost cause, was used in a great and mighty way by God. Now, i just give you two examples there. To say no one is too far gone to be any good to God. That includes any person that any of you today might be thinking in the back of your mind that you actually despise this person a person that you see as rotten to the core. And you all know who I'm talking about. It's your neighbors. It's your co-worker. It's your boss. It's the person who wouldn't come to church with you this morning. It's that relative. You know who it is. You think there's no hope for this person. I want you to try to do something. That person, whoever that is, try viewing him or her not as an enemy or a lost cause, but see them as a project. Pray for them. Pray for them. Show kindness to them at every opportunity. Bless them whenever you can, because in spite of what it looks like, that person is not too far gone. You also need to remember someone else who's not too far gone to be saved or used. You. Yeah, I'm talking about you now. You and I are not too far gone to be saved and used. Now, some of you might say, oh, I thought I was saved. I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've just been going through the motions without emotions. Maybe you're little Jack Horner Christians. What a good boy I am. What a good little girl I am. God's got to love me. Not really. For by grace are you saved through faith. You get that by grace, through faith, for service. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 talks about. See, no matter what has happened in your life, no matter how bad you've been or how bad, how good you think you are or how mediocre you picture yourself, you're never too far off the beaten path to get on 
what God would call the road to greatness. In other words, serving him in the area in which he's called you. See, this passage begins with Paul breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And it ends up by saying in verse 22, he grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by doing what? By proving that Jesus is the Christ. He went from being against Jesus to proving that Jesus is actually the Messiah. So that's really the first part. The road to greatness has got an open lane for any one of you. I mean, just like I finally had to have the courage to step out onto Lake Michigan with that big old yellow, or not Lake Michigan, that would have been a real trick, uh, onto Lakeshore Drive, uh, you can take the step too and just step out onto this road that God's calling you. But there's a second thing to remember, and it's this. The road to greatness is uphill all the way. Now, that, that may make somebody say, well, I'm not so sure I want to get on that road. It was all uphill. Well, you know, God said something to Ananias that may take some getting used to. I want you to take a look at these next verses. He, he said, go to Saul, pray. And in verse 15, he said, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. But then he goes on in verse 16 and said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow, what do you mean? <laughs> Imagine, Katie, if, you know, on the day that you are installed as our DCE, I, I would say, Katie, I want you to know that you are God's chosen instrument to carry his name in front of all kinds of people. And God is going to show you how much you're going to suffer in doing that. You might say, can I rethink that? <laughs> yeah, who in their right mind would, would sign up for a job where suffering is part of your job description? Now, I thought God was supposed to make my life better, right? Not worse. Well, he does make life better. We all know that. Better than, you, than you, you could ever think, but not in the way that most people expect. The fact is that with or without God, with or without God, life is sometimes hard. Now, my Christian friends and my non-Christian friends alike all face the same kind of heartbreak and disappointment. Remember, the Bible says the rain falls on who? The just and the unjust. Falls on the sheep and on the goats. But I can tell you that after following Jesus for 60 plus years of my life, after seeing how people with faith respond to tragedy and how people without faith respond to tragedy, I'm convinced that a Christian always has an advantage when hard times come. Now, why is that? I mean, I think about that, the Jewish guy that wrote the book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Well, first of all, what a dopey title. There's no such thing as a good person. I mean, that, so his title is all wrong. And even if there are good people, let's call them Christians. Why do bad things happen to Christians? My response is, who better to handle it? There's your answer. Who better to handle it? Now, why? Why can we better than others handle tough times? Well, we have the presence of God in our lives. That's what I heard Katie tell the little ones this morning. They got the Holy Spirit in them. He offers guidance whenever you're confused. 
He brings you comfort when you're hurting. He brings you forgiveness when you fail. And for this reason, hard times are a whole lot more bearable for a believer than a person who has no faith. I mean, I could tell you story after story of funerals that I've been at where there were people of faith there and watched how they went through that process and people without faith and watching them go through that process. It's two different things. Either the person who has no faith, all they can put their hope and trust in is circumstances. But there is a sense in which Christians face a struggle with suffering that most non-Christians will never, ever understand. And it's just that Christians have a greater level of accountability in this world. Now, in the world, everybody's job is what? Just to look out for number one. Christians, who are we looking out for? We are told to not only look out for ourselves, but we are called upon to look out for other people as well. There's a Bible passage that always gives me the willies when I read it in the book of Hebrews because it's directed at pastors. And it says that there will be some day when the pastor is going to be held account accountable for the souls under his care. Isn't that interesting? Miss Katie, same thing with you. Same thing. Yeah, our job is to look out for other people. Our job is to make a difference. By the way, that Bible passage says... Remember that some days your pastor needs to give an account. Therefore, you better watch out how you treat him so that he can speak well of you at the last days. And if you don't think I'm telling the truth, you read the book of Hebrews this afternoon. So I'm just... See, followers of Jesus cannot turn a blind eye to all this nonsense that goes on in this world. We can't just pretend that injustice isn't taking place. I mean, Christ followers need to choose conviction over convenience, and sometimes what you choose as a Christ follower comes with a price. Back when I was athletic director and basketball coach in Illinois, we were the only Christian school in a public school conference, and I remember when I used to walk into the bars where they held the conference meetings, everybody went, Uh Uh-oh, everybody, put your beard down and don't tell any more dirty jokes. Here comes you-know-who. I had to turn around and see who they're talking about. But uh, I guess it was me. Now, that's a kind of a small little thing, but, you know, it was like, this guy's different. And you just felt like you weren't really part. kind of comes with a cost here. You know, there are many people who in churches, there may be some of you here this morning, who believe that following God should should make life a whole lot easier. And probably some of you have probably sat around sometimes, I thought if I just loved God and came to church, all this nonsense would stop happening in my life. Uh, And if something isn't easy, uh, the results should just magically disappear if I just say a few presto changeo kinds of prayers. Um, And then there are some people who say, well, if I do something that doesn't go well, well, it must not have been God's will. They've kind of get out real quick. I mean, Vince Lombardi said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Far too many Christians, you can call them Christians, say, when the going gets tough, I'll bail out. I'm done. They run into an obstacle and they say, oh, this is getting hard. This is too much work. Evidently, God is not in this. Now, I don't understand where that kind of thinking comes from, but I can tell you where that thinking does not come from. 
It does not come from the Bible. If Paul's attitude was, okay, now I'm converted, now I'm going to be a world-class missionary, I'm going to do this as long as it's easy, he would have not lasted past Acts chapter 9. Because in verse 23 of this chapter, his former colleagues are already trying to kill him. And the truth is that trouble followed Paul all the days of his life. And yet, a decision to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus is the best decision that any of you could ever make. Now, young Dylan is going to be confirmed next Sunday, God willing. It's his opportunity to stand up in front of a group of people. A long time ago, you weren't standing, you were being held at a baptismal font like that. And somebody else made some promises for you. But as all of you have gone through confirmation know, confirmation is the time you stand up and you speak for yourself. You're saying, that faith into which I was baptized is the one that I have decided to follow. And when that happens, it opens the door to God's power in your life. You begin to recognize as you grow more and more God's blessing, God's peace. You begin to experience abundance. You know the true meaning of joy. You have meaningful friendships. You keep the deep satisfaction that comes with doing the very thing that you were put on this planet to do. It's a great life to be a Christian. I can't tell you enough about how wonderful it is to be a Christian. But I'm also going to tell you you're going to face disappointment. You're going to face hardship. You're going to suffer setbacks and defeat. You're going to suffer at the world's suffering. You're going to hurt when other people hurt. That's because when you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, God responds by calling you to an area of service in his kingdom. He gives you a burden, if you will. And I hate to call it a burden because it's not really a burden. It's kind of like something really nice that you get to carry, but it's a little heavy at times. It's kind of like carrying a baby. <laughs> Sometimes a little bit heavy, but you still love hanging on to it. Uh, but it's a burden that will sometimes break your heart. You, it's a burden that wants you to, you just want to make something a better place, but it's also a place that sometimes leads you into the midst of other people's pain and suffering. And sometimes the burden seems like too much of a, a burden to bear. Sometimes it seems like much more of a price than you care to pay. But I tell you, friends, maybe you won't go to jail. Maybe you will never spend a day and a night hanging onto a board being adrift in the middle of the ocean. Maybe you will not end up in a foreign prison like Paul. But you most certainly will dedicate long hours to whatever it is that God has called you to do in his name. And sometimes it will cause you to sacrifice financially. You're not always going to get the results you want. Sometimes the work is demanding. The pay isn't that great. But as I always say, guess what, Katie? The retirement benefits are out of this world. I'm not talking Concordia plans either. I'm talking heaven. God said of Paul, he was my chosen instrument. And then he said, Paul would preach the gospel all over the world. He said, and he will suffer for my name. That's the same call. Dylan, he's going to tell you, you're my chosen instrument. He can say that about any of you. Share the gospel. 
but understand you may suffer in the process. See, we are all God's chosen instruments. Now, you can serve in a kind of a custom design capacity, and you will be asked to pay a price. Well, the question is, is it worth it? Well, I would say absolutely. Now, here's the third thing. It, it, we're all, there's a spot on the road, it's uphill, but greatness requires the same steps for everyone. That's a really neat, neat thing. How do, you, how do you get on this road if there's room for you on the road? Well, you know there's room for you on the road. We know it's uphill. Uh, how do you learn to get out there? Well, I did, actually, how I got that bus out there is I noticed somebody got tired of sitting behind me in that bus, pulled around, and just shot into traffic. And they let him in. I thought, oh, he can do that. Here I go. You learn from other people. Uh, there, there are steps to this road to greatness. I just Let me go very quickly. The six steps to greatness. Number one, Paul or Saul had a personal encounter with Jesus. Now, his story may sound pretty unique, but it's really not. Every person here, if you call yourself a Christ follower, has come face to face with Jesus, and you decide, am I going to give my life to him or not? And if you've never had that moment, if you've never turned from your sin, if you've never turned to Jesus, if you've never given Jesus your entire life, guess what? Today is as good as any. The second thing was he was baptized. I mean, that's generally the first step of obedience. Many of you were brought to a font by faithful parents, godmothers even, grandparents. It identifies you once and for all with Jesus. And if you haven't taken that step, if some of you aren't baptized, guess what? We can, we can do that too. Third, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you live by the Spirit's power, not your own strength. And the miracle of Jesus' resurrection is the miracle of the indwelling of the Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. And every day, you know, it's like the hymn, Holy Spirit come. Now, we know the Holy Spirit's here, but you know, just increase the indwelling of the Spirit in my life. And number four, it said he immediately began fellowshipping with other believers. I always wonder why certain people are included in Bible stories. I think the reason Ananias is in this story, and by the way, we, don't, we know next to nothing about him after this, is because God wanted, did not want him to start this journey all by himself. He also began worshiping with these other Christians. I can't emphasize how important that is. I just read something the other day, what constitutes regular church attendance in America these days. You know what regular church attendance in America means these days? About once a month. Now, I don't know, back when I was a kid, I have a feeling it was a little bit higher. I'm not sure. I always love that. You know, what's faithful church attendance? I often teach it this way with kids. Uh, if you get married someday, do you expect your husband or wife to come home every night? Yeah. What if they only came home once a month? Aha. What if you had a car? You all want a car? What if it only started every fourth day? Not faithful. It just means you're here. You're here. I actually tried to skip church once. You know that? I had this happen. My brother-in-law got tickets to the NCAA Regional Basketball Championships at the University of Lincoln one year, and I flew out to go to those games. And I woke up on Sunday morning with kind of a start, like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my. Oh, hold it. I don't need to go to church today. I'm on vacation. And then I laid there and I thought, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't just lay there. 
And so I got up. Now, I'll tell you, I kind of got up out of habit and out of a guilty conscience, but, you know, that's okay. It's okay. You know, it's not just going to church either. It's being around other Christians. It's, it's being around people who, who genuinely care for you and believe in you and spiritually support you. I can't believe, for example, how, how much non-spiritual advice people give their friends on places like Facebook. Oh, man. Gone. Gone. <laughs> Gone. You know, spiritual advice. Well, fifth thing, he immediately began telling people about Jesus. And you know something? This is often the hardest part. It's not easy to talk about something so personal. And you don't want to come across as some sort of a high-pressure salesman. At least that's what I've learned. If you're open to the opportunity, guess what? God will bring you an opportunity. You don't have to go and force doors open. Believe me, the doors will open for you. Now, Paul had a kind of a neat thing going for him. He was a rabbi. And whenever he got to town, if there was a synagogue, synagogue rules required that you let the visiting rabbi speak. So he had a kind of a built-in open door. He took advantage of it. You've got open doors, too. Take advantage of them. You know, sharing your faith is a pretty natural conversation. You don't need to get somebody into a corner and beat them over the head with the Bible. You just need to tell them what Jesus means to you and the difference Jesus has made in your life. You don't need to tell them, you know, for a couple hours how wicked, bad, and nasty you used to be. You don't need to talk about that. Just say, hey, I used to be different. Today, I, today I'm a follower of Christ. Let me tell you what, what, what it means to me. And six, he took steps to grow in the Christian faith. He met with the apostles. He met with the leaders. He spent time in Jerusalem, spent time in Antioch, got grounded in his faith. We know from Scripture that he got, took off into the desert for a couple of years so that he could do a little bit more Bible study, prepared for his first journey. Now, anyone who wants to be used by God, there's your six steps. A personal encounter with Jesus, baptism, fellowship in the local church, being filled by the Spirit, telling others about Jesus, growing in the faith. Now, I challenge you this morning, what's the next step for you? It's a question I ask myself, what's the next step for me? Whatever road you've been traveling lately, God is calling you to the road to greatness. Now, if you're tempted to say, well, that's not me, I'm just average, besides I've made too many mistakes in my life, my response to you is no, 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 underline no, 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 it is you. There's an open lane on the road. It's an uphill climb. There's a price to be paid. The rewards, the satisfaction, they're out of this world. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready to begin the process? Now, most of us here today have had a personal salvation experience with Jesus. That's kind of my assumption. Most of us here today have already been baptized. The question is what you've been doing with the other four, and where are you on this journey? Do you pray daily for an increase of the Spirit in your life? Are you plugged into a group or groups that can nurture you spiritually? Bible classes, Sunday school, small groups, one-on-ones, whatever it might be. Are you reaching out to other people who have a lack of peace with that same peace that you already have in Jesus? And are you ready to study 
and learn and prepare. If so, you're ready to take the next steps. Have a wonderful trip. Get on the road. Pull out in the traffic. Have an adventure. And by the way, you can just sit in the back seat and enjoy the drive. Let him do the driving. Too many people today want to drive and have Jesus as their co-pilot. I've seen that bumper sticker. God's my co-pilot. Well, it's no wonder you're all over the road. (laughs) Get in the back seat where you belong. Let him do the driving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Saul, Paul, a changed life. We too can have a changed life as well. We pray that you will encourage us again by the very presence of the Holy Spirit to each and every day grow and grow as a Christ follower. It's in his name we pray. Amen.